You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. Mark and Towner, we're back. The adults are back in charge. (laughs) The Martins have gone their separate directions. I feel like we always need to clarify that the Martins are not actually related. They, I I don't know. It's Caitlin with a K, not Caitlin with a C. Yeah, that just confuses things (laughs) even more. Yeah, we could do a whole podcast on that. But the the kids are away. The kids are away. The adults are back in charge. The weekend off. The, uh... The one place I'm not sure the adults are in charge is is Washington, D.C. Guys, weird, weird week. Towner. Yeah. Start us yeah. off. You've got some soliloquies you told me. I do. I have. The week that was. So. I, got, I got a lot of things on my mind. I called Towner about actual paying work a little while ago, and I got Mark. no soliloquies, Towner. Not fair. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm ready. I've been thinking about this a lot. You know, it's uh, it's never as bad as it once was or could be again uh, to a certain degree. But I think, uh, you know, my general perception here is that I think folks uh, on the Democratic side of the aisle really want it to be the 1930s, the 1970s, the 1980s, the 1960s again, where Democrats had a two to one advantage in both chambers and can do whatever the heck they want whenever they want. Because uh, what has become very apparent to me is that Democrats are frustrated and they've been frustrated through a good chunk of this year um, and probably rightfully so, because they'd like to do a lot of things. Everybody would like to do a lot of things, but you have to do uh, what the the mix of Democrats and Republicans affords you the ability to do. And, um, you know, the last podcast we did started uh, last week. Uh, before we 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 started moving towards a resolution to the debt ceiling, uh, before we were uh, the eventual implosion uh, of the vote that had been planned on the bipartisan infrastructure bill that was obviously uh, kicked uh, down the road uh, till October 31st. And so we have all these new deadlines. Nothing shut down. There's no debt ceiling breach on the immediate horizon, even though I I uh, remarked, I think, to you, Howard, uh, earlier this week that I I enjoyed CNN's uh, emergency countdown clock to the debt ceiling breach that when I turned on the TV started at 11 days, 16 hours and XXX. So, uh, you know, it's. Well, that's the problem. You and Howard are still watching cable news. That's part of the problem here. (laughs) Well, that's because America is still watching cable news. And that's a big part of the problem. (laughs) what, What I would say to amend your soliloquy is that the Democrats can only do what the mix of Democrats and Democrats will allow them to do. That's exactly right. That's Mark, exactly right. Well, and yes and no. Yes and explain, no. You, Mark, explain you your party because even though it's not really your party, because even though Bernie Sanders is one of the most dominant voices <laughs> in your party, he doesn't actually belong to your party. So ex- what the heck is going on? So. I'm going to go back to the beginning. Towner said as bad as it once was or as bad as it, it 
maybe again. It, we're doing better than the 1850s towner when Charles Sumner, senator from Massachusetts, was beaten unconscious with a cane on the Senate floor by a South Carolina congressman. So just to to put this in bar. historical perspective, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I did not see the shouting match, but um, I'm told no one was beaten unconscious with a cane. So we're doing a little better than that. But, you know, Will Rogers said, Howard, uh, I'm not a member of any organized political party. I'm a Democrat. And that that's my answer. This is a disorganized party. We are fighting among ourselves. It looks bad in the moment, but you do have to wait and see what happens here. I think the the voters come November 2022, are going to judge what what actually happened rather than the the awkward way we may be getting somewhere. We we know what's going to happen. We know it is at we know as we get toward the end of the year. The House is going to pass the bipartisan infrastructure bill and they're going to pass a reconciliation package Somewhere in the two trillion dollar a year range, right? And that is what's going to happen. And they're going to keep the government open, and they're going to lift the debt ceiling again. And it's the sausage making is is painful to watch. But but I do think that's where we end up. The challenge, as Towner and I were discussing earlier, is to make sure our clients' provisions remain in the pared down reconciliation, or but that, or, or get in, but or get right. in. But um, I, I think actually how we how we get there does matter. I've likened this to a presidential primary, in the sense that. You know, if the if if Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama beat each other so much, beat each up others so much, and maybe that's not the best example, but on the way to the nomination, it makes it harder to run in the yep. general. And I feel like the D's are just taking a pound of flesh out of one another that's gonna demotivate the base, and everybody's gonna feel like uh, look, good legislation well, comes from everybody feeling like they they didn't get entirely what they want, but that's different than. Well, you you every, can be sure that's how everybody is going to feel in December. Well, is it or are they? Yeah, that's how the members are going to feel. But how's the public going to feel? I think the public is going to feel that a lot got done. Now there are those who are going to think it's too much. There are those who are going to think it's too little. But I do believe that a a bare majority are going to believe it was a lot and it was enough and and it was important. And we're going to see as it plays out over a year. But before we get to any of that, just uh, to do this chronologically, you're going to get a a real interesting test of where the party is, the Democratic Party, that is, in early November with two gubernatorial elections, with a, with a lot of elections for a lot of things. But New Jersey, which is less interesting yeah, because it's, it's clearer. But Virginia is really 
Virginia is really close. I was talking to uh, the team McAuliffe yesterday. They like their chances. They think they're up enough to be okay. But but Biden's popularity has been a drag on McAuliffe's candidacy. I saw his approval rating in one poll. I think it was the Quinnipiac poll was down to 37 percent. Yeah. That's not yeah, good. Now he's he's not yet at uh, Barack Obama's record low, but but he's on his way. <laughs> well, I I think but, I mean that, everybody and by the way on that I don't even think that's so much policy based or every single person I talk to make Democrat or Republican makes the comment to me it's that, visceral. That he looks like he's asleep. Yeah. It's visceral. It <laughs> I'll is put visceral. it kindly. He looks like he's asleep. Oh, I have had good friends and good Democrats uh, diagnose him with all sorts of uh, disorders because of his uh, appearance. And and the visual, the visceral visual it is not good. But... But let's see what happens in in Virginia. Let's see if Democrats turn out. 2017, you may recall, in New Jersey and Virginia were were victories that brought a lot of hope to hope and change to the Democratic Party. Uh, let's let's see what happens with, with McAuliffe. For McAuliffe to lose, that 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 would be a bad. A bad harboring. Yeah, but even the fact that it is as tight as it is, and it is tight. Yeah. Is, yeah. is well, it's a it, sign of the times. It says something, and obviously this is an obvious point, but it's a big difference between running against Donald Trump in the White House and running with Joe Biden in the White House. Yeah, although and, and I'm not, because of Trump's stranglehold on the Republican Party, it, it it's sort of like McAuliffe and Murphy up in New Jersey are still running against Trump. That's at least the the Democratic playbook. McAuliffe's running against Trump, but uh, Youngkin, uh, the Republican candidate, is not running with Trump. Right. Uh, Even though McAuliffe is trying desperately to tie him to Trump, Youngkin has not uh, reached out to Trump. He is not, you know, keeping uh, the opposite. Exactly. Exactly. And and so this is a test for the Republican Party as well. Can an anti-Trump or a distance from Trump message actually win in an electorate or or does Trump blow it up? I think that's what you just said is really important because he's not anti-Trump. Right. You corrected yourself. He's distanced from Trump. Is this the playbook? He is, is no the, more anti-Trump than McAuliffe is anti-Biden. They're each if, trying to put daylight between the leader of their party because both leaders, both party leaders are, are unpopular right now. Yeah. yeah, but if if Youngkin wins, and by the way, the legislature, at least I think it's the House, is also in play. If if in, in Virginia, if, if Youngkin um if Yunkin wins, that is then there's a playbook. Yeah, and this well, is in, this in is New Jersey, in in your home state, Howard, and Phil Murphy's going to get reelected. But the margin is going to be telling because you've got a Republican candidate 
who is also not running as Trump, but it isn't anti-Trump by any means, but he's running against Phil Murphy and running hard against Phil Murphy and Murphy's record. And, and we're going to see, we're going to see what the margin is there. From a political science perspective, I think it's neat for two reasons. First, I think we're moving back to some sort of localized elections uh, when Congress comes up in the midterms. Uh, I think both parties want that to be the case because, as we referenced in Virginia, they're they're distancing themselves from the from the party leadership uh, where possible. And we haven't had that since probably 2006 when Democrats won back the House. Uh, to be perfectly frank, uh, and second of all, you know, for the last. 50 years, we've had an ebb and flow of independent voters. And uh, I think we're back in a place where uh, former Trump voters who may have been conservative Democrats in the Rust Belt and in the South uh, are trying to figure out where they go at this point. And I think we're going to see in the upcoming midterms and probably in the presidential election uh, coming up uh, in three years, uh, that we have a large independent base again. I mean, I credit Karl Rove. Uh, you can hate him as much as you want, but he was the first one to really identify in 2000 uh, that their the middle was shrinking, the independent base was shrinking. And so if you did your turnout uh, in your party base, then you, quite frankly, could win an election. And uh, that has led, unfortunately, to a certain extent, in my opinion, to 20 years of everybody trying to drive their base to turn out as opposed to seek to move towards the middle and, and capture the middle to be able to win elections. And so I see this as a potential beginning of a turning point uh, in electoral politics that that could uh, uh, mean good I, things for the country, I think. I, I guess, Mark, they teach political science at Duke. <laughs> <laughs> that, I loved that soliloquy. I think it's right. I, I hope it's right. It may be more hope than... than in, evidence-based at this point, but anything that drives American voters into the middle is is good for the country because I still believe, I hope anyway, that that's where the majority of the country is. I mean, Counter, we could do a whole political science uh, thing here because one of the problems is that not even half the country is going to vote in the midterms. Right. The turnout, whether it's party-driven, independent, or or some third thing, the, the majority of eligible Americans will sit out the midterms. Yeah. And I'm all in favor of the Australian approach of denying a driver's license to anybody who doesn't vote. Because we need more part, more participation would be mean more people in the middle. I I believe. I I agree with you completely. But more participation in a midterm doesn't mean there's a change in any way in outcome. When we only have really 50 congressional districts in play uh, during a midterm election, uh, ultimately, obviously, the local and state elections suffer because people aren't being motivated by the federal elections that are at the top of the ticket. But you know, at the end of the day, um, you know. Those those 50% of voters, most of their votes don't count because they're in a you know R plus 10 or a D plus 10 district where at the end of the day it's a no, statistical but, number. But they count, they count in uh the gubernatorial elections. Absolutely. They count in the Senate uh elections. That we've got three, speaking of governors, you know, we've got three very important gubernatorial elections in 2022, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin which you may remember decided the presidency 
the last two times and control of the election machinery in those states is at stake. So a, a lot is going to be going on a year from now. But Howard, my my fundamental view of the midterms is it, it really is a long time from now. Look, roll the clock back. A year ago, there was there wasn't even yet a fly on Mike Pence's head at the vice presidential debate. You know, we were talking a year ago about the presidential debates, and and a lot has happened since then, and a lot is going to happen between now and next November. But well, it's yeah. very it's very fair to say that that the Democratic Party is not putting forward a united front right now. That, but, Here's, here's your problem, Mark, is that you're trying to pass, the Democratic Party right now is trying to pass the signature piece of legislation that they are going to run on in a year. And I agree with you completely. You know, the electorate doesn't remember what happened last month, much less what happened the year before. And so what is happening right now in Congress is we have no bipartisanship. And I think my personal belief is that that is due more to Democratic members than it is to Republican members right now. Uh, Biden uh, famously, immediately after he was inaugurated, decided he was going it alone on the American Rescue Plan. They passed that under budget reconciliation. There wasn't even a debate. There wasn't even an effort. Uh, There was an effort, obviously, to come up with a bipartisan infrastructure package. And some folks participated in that, including President Biden, And then he famously just now threw it under the bus uh, last Friday and said, no, until I get the reconciliation package that's partisan, I'm not going to uh, uh, advocate that we move forward on the bipartisan package. And then we obviously have this this next reconciliation package of three and a half, two and a half, whatever it is going to be trillion dollars. And so Republicans at this point and and then Schumer's speech, I should add, from from yesterday, from Thursday evening, uh, where 11 Republicans voted to raise the debt ceiling and he ripped them a new one for four minutes on the floor. Manchin, you know, said it was bleep and stupid. Uh, Mitt Romney and Susan Collins uh, and John Thune, normally very uh, pragmatic Republicans, chased after Schumer to tell him how disrespected they felt as a result of that speech. And what we have here is Republicans are just not participating anymore. But, okay. They've decided Democrats but, are going to do their own thing. I got to call you out here. Yeah. And that was an excellent soliloquy. And I can't disagree factually with your characterization of, of the president's bipartisanship. However, you you do not seriously believe that the Republicans are not every bit as partisan, if not more so. Mitch McConnell would not let Chuck Schumer organize the Senate when Georgia voted in two Democrats. Yeah, but Mark, and, it, and it's who... the same Obama playbook from McConnell no. of denying Biden any accomplishments here. Last time I checked, Joe Manchin was not a Republican. And and well, John, I haven't, Thune, I haven't checked this morning. Has that changed? <laughs> By the way, what if? What if? <laughs> what if? Yeah, I've and had a lot. More you know what? Can I answer that recently. for you? If Joe Manchin flipped parties, McConnell would ask Schumer to take him back after a couple months. I Manchin, so. Manchin's the party of Manchin, and it's hard representing West Virginia. It's hard being a Democrat in West Virginia. I get it. 
And I've Trump had more whispers. Five state. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what what timer? I've had more whispers about cinema changing parties for real uh, over the course of the last three weeks than, yeah. than just about anything else. Nobody thinks Manchin's going to switch parties because he's not. He he loves being a conservative Democrat. Yeah. But I, well, you he know, loves the hand he's been dealt. Oh, yeah. He loves playing. He his hand. is. He's just an enigma. Yeah. She's an enigma. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She is an enigma. I think the progressives in our party make a mistake threatening to take her out because as enigmatic as she is, her her whole life story is about being tough and a survivor. And she is she is not going to take kindly to threats. That's not the way to deal with her. But but Mark, fighting with Susan Collins and Mitt Romney is different than fighting with Mitch who's, McConnell. Who's, who's fighting with Schum- Schumer? Oh, he who, gave us he, it was a dumb speech. I didn't see it. No, but that has consequences. That's not about the no, election. No, I, that's I agree. A, that's about should... governing. That's about governing. It, and it was it, you know, life is not about running from one election to the next election only. It's like these people actually have power and the decisions they make actually matter. They are actually in charge. And sometimes you got to rise above it. Couldn't look, you get no argument from me about what I've been told Sumer said and did uh, on on the Senate floor that that was a moment for governing. Couldn't agree more, Howard. That was a moment for governing and governing required putting it to a vote and keeping your mouth shut and saying anything, let alone what what I am told he said. uh, Yeah, dumb, dumb. And I don't mean electorally dumb. I mean, irresponsible, irresponsible as as the leader of the United States Senate. But I am not yielding one molecule here to Professor French in blaming partisanship on the Democrats. You got you got both sides all in on partisanship. And and it's uh, problematic. It isn't 1850. Nobody is no, no unconscious yet, although there Mark, was January 6th. There's there's no question that the partisanship goes both ways. I mean in fact, I think it's personally, I think it's worse from the Republican side than it is from the Democratic side because Thank of you. what you said earlier, the Republicans are better organized than the Democrats. And so they're better able to to thwart from a position of, well, of it's easy, from it's a always easier position. to be united in opposition than in having the actual responsibility. Right. And that's part of governing. I mean, the the whole game, if you will, is when when your votes actually don't matter, um, being antagonistic, and and that's the, that's how this goes. That's how governing works. It, yeah, and it's incumbent know. upon the incumbent. It's incumbent upon the party in power to 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 keep their eye on the ball and. You know, I think I always think back to just before COVID, when you and I were sitting in Senator Schumer's office. Um, I was thinking about before, that the other day. Just yeah. before COVID, like a couple of days before the world shut down, and you know, it was very bleak. It, it was a very bleak conversation 
about how out of power they are and how irrelevant they are and how McConnell doesn't work with them at all. And March 13, 2020, and sitting in the spectacular minority leader office. but, and but, and hearing that and I get it that there had been no that they weren't talking to each other right I get it I get it I it's I don't like it I'm the quintessential middle of the road guy who wants governing to be done the right way and but the boy I was thinking it doesn't mean the other that day a year though. and a half later you take your frustrations out you gotta. No, you can't agree. You you can't in March of 2020 moan and wail that McConnell won't talk to you and then take power a year later and not talk to McConnell. That doesn't that, that doesn't work. That or isn't government. Just antagonize. Like the, but the, the, the thing is, about yeah. that meeting that I I was thinking the other day just as a footnote, we don't have to go down this rabbit hole. But you and I walked out of there, said, we'll see you soon. We were told, well, unless the world shuts down. We we walked out of there and said, God, these guys are so depressed. They think that the world's going to get shut down. And boom, <laughs> the boom. So I don't know what you're talking about. I'm in the Big Apple as we speak. <laughs> I'm back. I'm on the road. Welcome back. Yeah. 98% 98 chance I'll I'll come down. How how does Felicia feel about uh, being back? (laughs) 98% chance I come down with COVID in the next couple of days, but um, hopefully not. But it's. uh, Well, do you have your hydrochloroquine? I can. No, I. Towner Towner knows people who can get you some. No, I, I'm taking, I got my Don't loop me in with those people, all right? Let's, let's, whoa, 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 whoa. If I have to carry the whole Democratic Party, Towner, you're carrying the whole damn Republican Party. I just I got the horse worm things, and that's I got it. my prescription for the horse pill, exactly. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> or, or if that fails, I'll just use Clorox. <laughs> Go, yeah. just wash no. out your mouth. Right. I'll just use Clorox and shoot oh. it into my veins and the world of oh. the world. Uh, you well, know, the, the net effect of this is hold on tight. Enjoy Thanksgiving because, you know, the political world may come to a crashing halt at the beginning of December, quite frankly, because Republicans are not participating anymore. After the speech, they're done. And debt ceilings got to get raised in the beginning of December for hopefully a long term period. Uh, the government shuts down again on December 3rd. Uh, there's there's obviously the effort to pass the bipartisan infrastructure bill, uh, which is on hold uh, until theoretically the end of October. But it could be it should be significantly longer because process wise, they can't get a reconciliation bill and a bipartisan infrastructure bill together uh, before the end of October and and probably not before the end of Thanksgiving, to be honest with you. So hold on tight. This is going to be a a rocky December for sure. The real agreed, but but my most uh, profound question um, for Howard is, come December, will the University of Michigan men's football team still be undefeated? I, I say a hard no to that, <laughs> Mark. But I, I say a hard a no year. on that. I say a hard no on that, even though I'm uh, wearing <laughs> yeah. the maize and blue as we speak, as you can see on the screen. Yeah. Mark, my analysis is uh, run game strong, 
run defense bad, pass defense good, pass game strong. It's it's your problem is the Big Ten. You can't, nobody's going to go undefeated. Penn State and Iowa play this Saturday. The conference is top to bottom, just too good for anybody. More Big the Ten table. teams in the in the top ten. I'm top just happy 11. we're un, undefeated today, and uh, hopefully we come out of Lincoln, Nebraska, with a victory this weekend. Um, guys, how are your football teams doing? Brown and Duke. How are we doing? <laughs> we're having football? a great. We're having a great year at Brown. Brown has a great year every year. It takes the field. That's the yeah. test at Brown. I, I'm married into Notre Dame, so I have something ah. to cheer for. Sorry about not the after Cincinnati last weekend. Yeah, you know, yeah. you know, <laughs> not I, after last look, weekend. You know, I'm a college basketball fan where it's okay to lose a game or two here or there. I don't understand the whole uh, college college football yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, you and Stewart and Coach K. Yeah, well, good. I'm a college basketball fan too. That's the beauty. Is I'm a multi-season <laughs> guy. I see. I see. Isn't it baseball yeah. season? Well, you missed last time. week, Mark, where I was going to say I bragged about the Yankees and talked about how they were going to host a playoff game and they didn't host the playoff game and they got their clocks cleaned. And yeah, so baseball season yeah. is over for me. By the way, it's about to be over for the Red Sox, but that's a whole After different last thing. night, it's Still looking home. that way. All right. Go Dodgers and and. Look forward to continuing the tutorial with Professor French next week, Howard. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thank you all. See you. You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing Podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.